Hello and welcome to episode 120 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The Titans triumph, the Bears might be brilliant, the Giants get a win. Meanwhile, the Bengals are the new Falcons, the Cowboys look like Cowboys, and the cheese has most certainly gone off. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Everyone's got to win. Well, except the Jets. It was an eventful weekend of action. We'll be giving out our weekly awards and discussing some of the hot topics in the NFL in the company of Jimmy Borthwick. Hi, Jim. Hello. So let's start with you, Jamie. You've got a win. How good did it feel? It felt disproportionately good, <laughs> given what it was. Um, it felt it felt outstanding. Um, even though, I mean, it, it was it was very kind of similar to that win over uh, the Washington team last year, and it was essentially a, a win that impressed nobody except Giants fans. <laughs> but um, it was great to see the the, the defense still looking sharp, looking pretty hot. Uh, and it was good to see that uh, Daniel Jones can actually throw occasionally, but still only to Darius Slayton. <laughs> he can also run. Good grief, he can run. There was one play in particular that was mighty impressive. That was that was phenomenal. The, the, the best part of that was, was that camera one stayed on Devontae Freeman thinking that it was still with him and <laughs> missed a huge big chunk of it. I think it was a 49-yard run. Um, so, yeah, you, you got to love it when it fools even the cameraman. So, uh, excellent design play. Not often we've been able to say that about our uh, offensive play calling this season. But you're a divisional contender. That one win, you know, the NFC least. Um, I, I'm sure I wasn't the first to coin the phrase. I've definitely been using it for a couple of weeks. Everybody's using it now. Five wins in the whole division after six weeks is quite a statistic. Uh, I mean, we can talk about the MetLife as a whole, and it's one win out of 12 or something ridiculous like that. But um, you're a contender now. You're a contender. Yeah, well, I mean, right now, I think our Motley crew of um, attempted field goal kickers down Union Park could be a contender in that division at the moment. It's incredible that uh, the, the Giants will go to Philly and the winner will go top of the division but that's just that's just the way it is I've seen a lot of nonsense written about how oh this this proves that we should rip up the divisions but it's only one and anomalies happen all the time what does it matter you know it's still a division full of like incredible intrigue amazing rivalries it just so happens that all four teams are garbage (laughs) yeah but you go back 10 years the NFC West was shit you know, nobody wanted to watch it. These things come round. You know, the short-term memory stuff of people does my absolute head in. Um, the other thing that does my head in is, is coaches going for two points to try and win a game. Now, unless you've got the best offense and the best quarterback in the world, let's, let's stop pretending that people like Kyle Allen is going to throw you a two-point conversion 90% of the time. Uh, they can take this riverboat run stuff and go and sink them. I, I just think that's awful coaching. And I know people disagree with me. Quite frankly, I don't give a monkeys. But this trying to give away wins is unbelievable in the NFL at the moment. So we, we chatted about this on the NFL chat at the time. Um and I, I am one of those people that disagrees with Paul on this one. I think that, do you know what? With the wind in your sails, with the momentum at your back, with two yards to go, go for the win. Overtime sucks. You look at the situation with the Texans, you can lose that on the coin toss. 
Um, you can't lose the game by going for a two. Well, actually, sorry, no, <laughs> you, you can because yeah, that's what happened. Can. But you know, <laughs> yeah, okay, that right. Hang on, I'm going to edit that out. It was my new editing powers that I've been showing off. Um, yes. They did lose it. But do you know what? I'd rather lose it on my terms than lose it to a coin toss, in theory. Um, and the powers, you've got the ability to just do what you need to do, seal it, and walk off the park. That's it. Game yeah. over. But they're shit. So play the percentages. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that was It was dumb. Now, it'll be interesting because Jamie's here and he can prove me wrong if he wants. Were you delighted that they went for two? I'll tell you what. The second they lined up for two, I thought, brilliant. Giants won. Only because, the, yeah, the, the Giants' defence has been making big plays and it's stepping up the majority of the time when it's really required. They're keeping teams down low. And yeah, they, they were, they were uh, in days gone by, I would have thought, right, well, that's that. But no, when they went for two, I thought, right, yeah, no, I've, I've got absolute confidence that we're going to win this. So the, the two-point success conversion rate is somewhere between 40 and 55%. So at 55%, I still think you go for it. Like, you can guarantee your success of a, a point after attempt is higher than that. There's no two ways. But you go to a tie, you go take it to overtime. I don't think your success rate in overtime is 55%. I think that... I think it, I think it, it, so much of it came down to the, the situation with the with the dire division. You yeah. win and you go top of the division. If you lose, oh, well, we're still getting a really high draft pick. And that's not a situation that exists um, in too many... Uh, season. So, yeah, on that occasion, the percentages probably did point towards it. Uh, there was another team did it as well. We saw the the Titans-Texans do this. Uh, and actually, there was a, an opportunity to go for two there that worked against the Texans to a point. But again, I know, Paul, we kind of disagreed about this one as well on Sunday. But I still think it was the right decision for the Texans to go for it. Because if it's successful, the game's over. In the end... They didn't go for it. The other team marches down the other end and they're able to take it to overtime where they then win. But that's down to that other team and you, you want your defence to be able to step up and do it. But I still think you go for that. You go for it to put it beyond doubt if you possibly can. Bollocks. <laughs> well, let's be let's be honest. That, that was a really dumb, stupid decision. You can go up by eight points by kicking the damn thing. Not only have they then got to walk down and try and score a touchdown, they've then got to score a two-point conversion. Now, I believe they understand the conversion rate somewhere between 40 and 55%. I'll take my chances on that. I think it was a dumb play. Seriously, seriously dumb. Uh, and they, they got what they deserved. And interestingly, on both the two points, neither of them looked like they were ever getting in. Uh, now we talk about yeah they go to the board and they've got these special plays drawn up etc cetera, etc cetera. but as the Giants will tell you they're ready to defend as well I mean you know you're trying to think very rarely unless you've got a terrific running back and you're going for the run so you do tend to see the little flip pass and these teams are defending that uh, now I know yourself and, and Gordon McGuinness disagree completely and that's fine I'll educate you as the season goes on that's not a problem <laughs> but that's not. I, I just think both were dumb, seriously, seriously dumb on this occasion. Now, there are times you go for two. You know, if you are, for example, the New York Jets and you're playing, well, let, let's pick a team. You're playing the Packers and you've got a two point to win it. You go for it because the chances are you're going to get stomped on. Uh, 
to me, it smacks too often of desperation rather than this bravado. We're off to win the game. But for the Texans, like I, I totally agree that the execution of both was poor. Right? There's no two ways about that. The the actual execution of the plays was dire, absolute boffin stuff. The I don't necessarily agree with that being the case for the strategic decision to go for it because both the teams that went for it are in points of desperation. The Washington are desperate because they're terrible and and that's a division that they can still somehow win. And I mean the Texans, the Texans are dire as well and desperately looking for wins under a new head coach who's trying to prove himself that he's going to go for it against a team that's unbeaten, a team that's capable. Derek Henry's able to stomp all over you. I genuinely think that they they, they it was a desperation move. Um and if anything that backs up why they went for it. But yes, um we can Talk about that one until the cows come home. In the end, Derek Henry was an absolute monster. Uh, I reckon there'll be some nominations for him when it comes to our uh, weekly awards. But I, uh, the execution was terrible. Speaking of executions, that takes us to the Green Bay Packers. Because surely that's what that was by the Buccaneers. An absolute execution. Um, when Aaron Rodgers bouldered his way into the end zone, and did his little Hingo McCringleberry celebration. Um, at that point, I thought, oh, here we go. The Packers are in. Fine, it was called back. Aaron Jones eventually did it. And then that's where the highlights for the Green Bay Packers stopped. See, that was a moment of silence for the Green Bay Packers, because let's be honest, <laughs> that was ugly as. Um, and to, to lose an over-the-hill aging quarterback who's on the last hurrah must be so embarrassing for the Packers, who I did say would go 10-0. and 0. I didn't see them losing to, to Tampa Bay. you got to give credit to the Bucs. I thought they played really well. Defensively, they were really strong. But we come out of this and the narrative is all about the Packers and what went wrong. They look badly prepared. They look poorly coached. And I do not like, because I'm grumpy tonight, I do not like people coming out and saying, yeah, we didn't have a good week of practice. We weren't really ready for this. That just sends all sorts of terrible messages. That Jamie, that felt like more than just a bad week of practice. They were so off the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, you say they lost to an over-the-hill quarterback. They lost to the Buccaneers' defence, which is is pretty outstanding. And had they come up against a, a defence that was even, you know, you know, above average yet this season, I'm not, I'm not sure. Vikings, Lions, Falcons, Saints were the teams that they that they'd beaten. The Buccaneers is a significant step up on defence there, and they just had no answer to it. It completely knocked them mentally, and that there's no coming back from that in the NFL. The, 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 when, when a team, when a defence has got on top of you like that, and your head goes, it's only going one way, and it only went one way, and it did look embarrassing. I think that the, there's been so much of a so much talk about a loving between Lafleur and. Rogers, there's been so much talk about this being the Rogers revenge season or the Roger Rogers revenge tour and what have you. And to be fair, the Packers have looked brilliant. They really have looked quite unstoppable. But this maybe felt like a a significant step up in the performance of the Buccaneers as well, who have been hit and missed, hot and cold throughout the season. I mean, let's remember the last game that the Buccaneers played before they played the Packers was the Bears, and they lost to the Bears. Um, now we'll get to the Bears loving in a while because at five and one you just can't ignore that. But 
you know, they weren't good in that. Brady wasn't in the game. Forgetting which down he was on at the end was the sign of a team that was going through transition, a sign of a team that wasn't firing on all cylinders, but that definitely wasn't the case on Sunday. And nor is that down to a single week's practice either. If we're going to say a single week isn't good enough to write off a team, it's certainly not enough to make a team make that much of a change. So what do we think the the significant difference in Tampa Bay? Is this a great team that's now finding its form, or is this a average team that punched way above its weight in a, in a setup where the, the Packers just didn't show up? I think you can say it's a mixture of both. I mean, I don't know what, what Jamie reckons, but I mean, I saw a, a Green Bay team that almost decided that they weren't going to win the game and just, you know, packed it up and went away and, you know, they'll, they'll take their lumps another day. I mean, to lose Vita, you know, last week to the leg break, you thought that would hurt, hurt. Uh, the Tampa Bay defence, but they, they're coming together nicely. And I think a lot of people always expected the defence to be strong and the play of Tom Brady to be adequate. And let's be honest, Jamie, we've seen that movie elsewhere. Absolutely. I think, yeah, it is a mixture of both. What we saw was a Buccaneers team that showed its teeth, that showed that they have the capability to put a run together, time it uh, well, um, and get themselves on a real running momentum towards the playoffs. What we saw from Packers is a team that has frailties, uh, physical and emotional frailties that can make them wobble um, and cast a big question mark over what we previously thought was a, was, was a bit of a juggernaut. It was a definitive either way. No, it's probably not. We need more weeks. We need more weeks to know. But we've seen both those things in those two teams now. And uh, yeah, it gives us a fuller picture of, of those sides. Ronald Jones, uh, that's the three games consecutively with over 100 yards. That's been a big contributing factor, I guess, as well, uh, although it didn't really help against the Bears. For Brady to have someone in the run game that he can turn to, that's something that Tampa Bay haven't had really since Doug Martin, since the old muscle hamster, which was the name he didn't ever want, so would continue to call him it. Um, you know, he was the last running back that really was a threat in Tampa Bay. Ronald Jones has found his groove after some negative stuff year one, some issues year two. He's, he's kind of getting there now. Uh, and I guess that, that's a big important factor for the season ahead. Couple of things to highlight then. The Steelers with a convincing 38-7 win over the Browns. Pittsburgh 5-0 for only the second time in franchise history, which I think is a surprise to me that a team that's so decorated has not done that more often. Uh, the last time they did it in 1978. Uh, another team that have gone 5-0 for the second time in their franchise history, the uh, Tennessee Titans with that impressive overtime 42-36 win over the Texans. The Eagles came back pretty strong against the Ravens, but the Ravens have now scored in every quarter this season. It is a team that's still on form, doing just enough on the day. Um, the Falcons won, so they get a week off the slack, but instead the Cincinnati Bengals get the Heat trailing. Uh, sorry, they were ahead by 21 points at one point, and the Colts come back to win 31-27. That's a tough one for the Bengals, and going to be particularly tough for Joe Burrow because... He had put on a bit of a show again, uh, and I think he's done admirably considering, you know, the pieces in front of him, and that O-line is a problem. But, you know, these are the sorts of games that really, if he'd come away from a win there, that would have been a real confidence booster, and you wonder how much something like that may actually work against him. It's still really early days for the Bengals, um, and Burrow is doing what really good quarterbacks are able to do in their first year. And there's the, 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 there's, a, there's a big thing about a rookie and a, and a second-year quarterback. And I think Burrow and Daniel Jones are, are, are showing the difference here. They've designed a great playbook for Burrow because in your first year, in your rookie year, 
defences are too fast for them to read. They can't read them, so they have to design a playbook that's short, medium, and they have windows, and they just they have to get their timing right and hit their windows. And what they've done is is, is mask the windows so the defences haven't got a hold of Burrow. Burrow's doing it well, and he's showing up really, really well. For Daniel Jones, on the other hand, it's his second year. Teams have got a good look at him, and he's not adapting well enough to be able to do these reads. So it... Well, I, I don't see any any issue with Burrow going forward. He just needs the more more pieces around him. I think it's really encouraging that he's been able to uh, to adapt the way he has. But um, that's probably a lot down to the offensive coordinator and the whole scheme that they've built around him there as well. I don't bet, but I wish I'd put money on the Colts when they were twenty one points down. Because, you know, they're making a lot of fuss about all of this. I mean, we've seen it with Atlanta, you know, getting you know hammered a couple of times. And, I mean, the Saints came back last week. If you're down 17 to 21 points in the first quarter or towards even in the start of the second, in the NFL, it's not a problem. You know, I mean, if you're opening up sort of the second half of the third quarter and going into the fourth quarter, 21 down, then then let's make a song and dance about it. But when the Colts were more than capable of always putting about 30 points on them, and that's what they did just a little bit later, perhaps, than advertised. So I think we can get a little bit carried away when teams either blow it big or come back big and, and almost read too much into it. I think the important thing in this game was, as Jamie said, the Bengals were in the game. They had a good game plan. I don't know about you two guys. I saw the interception coming the second he dropped back and the coverage he was going into because he was trying too hard. Um, throw the damn ball away. It, you please just do that. You know, stop. It's about giving your team a chance to win, not, not you know, slitting your own throat. And you could see that with Joe Burrow, who I love it. He's a tremendous player, but you could see that being forced in there. And that's what that's what done for them. The 21-point, Honestly, I wouldn't give it two hoots about the fact that the Colts came back from that. The Bengals were in it till the end, and unfortunately, they blew it at the end. Yeah, and these are the things that Borough needs to learn from. But, you know, this is the season where he can do that. So hopefully he does so, uh, and I'm sure we'll see lots of progress over him uh, during the season. Uh, we'll, we'll come round to the, the Broncos Patriots, which if you love field goals, this was for you. Oh, boy. Uh, not much else there, to be perfectly honest. The Niners, I was very surprised, and pleasantly so, to see them uh, get back into winning ways with a 24-16 win over the Rams. Lots more injuries in San Francisco, which is going to be a problem. Moster, um once again injured. It looks as though we're going to be without D Ford and Rich, uh, Richard Sherman for another five weeks or so. There are problems with injuries in San Francisco, uh, which means that this season, for me, is a write-off. But, you know, as long as we can keep getting wins along the way, then that's great. Jimmy Garoppolo, 7-1 and one career record in primetime games. That's quite something. So, you know, long may that continue. Long may we continue to be in the primetime. The Dolphins hammered the Jets. 0-6 start for the second time in franchise history. The last time the Jets went 0-6, 1996. Um, there's not much to talk about, and we will come round to the, the quarterback situation there when, when we move on to the sort of headlines after we've done our awards. The last one really, to the, I mean, Chiefs beat the Bills in a very wet game there, but the Cardinals destroyed the Cowboys. 30-plus uh, points that the Cowboys have allowed in five straight games, but it really was an absolute 
doing um, from the Cardinals. And, you know, really junk time points from the Cowboys in the end, the, the few 10 that they got. It was a massive disappointing uh, game for them. And some rumblings about players being unhappy with Mike McCarthy, etc., feels somewhat familiar coming out of Dallas. There's there's a, a communication issue, for sure, um, but there also is an ongoing locker room issue. Whether it's the, the players are being ball bags or whether Mike McCarthy is really that bad, but given... The time he spent at Green Bay, I, I, I feel surprised that it would be so disorganized and so poorly run as some of the chat seems to be. Did Mike McCarthy cough the ball up twice from running back? You no. know, it's as simple as that. Now, you want to talk about Bob Baggery. You're giving that man absolute millions. Hold on to the damn ball. I mean, I can understand the frustration of, of Dallas fans. And this is what happens. This happens in football. It happens in rugby. It happens everywhere. You get skilped a couple of times. The players blame the coach. The coach blames the players. And at the end of the day, it's the coach that will go because simply, you know, you can't sack all your players. Um, and, you know, in Jerry world at the moment, there's obviously huge problems. I mean, if you imagine that Dalton doesn't score that touchdown late, 38-3. I mean, that just that that is bordering on embarrassing. Now, the Cardinals are good, but hell, they're not that good. I mean, that is ridiculous. I mean, I don't know who the hell the Dallas um, defensive coordinator is. I'd need to look. Well, it could be anybody this week, probably anybody from 7-Eleven <laughs> buying a scratch card. Um, it's just horrific. And, you know, we, we talked about all Dallas had to do in this division was not shoot themselves in the foot and they were winning the division. All they had to do was even just win their home games, get a little bit better, a little bit better, you know, get everybody back and get ready for, for the playoffs. Andy Dalton, I mean, do you put the blame on him? The line was porous. You know, the line was absolutely porous. And at the end of the day, when you're used to starting every week, which he was, and all of a sudden you've got to come and, you know, you know start against a decent Cardinals team, it was going to be hard, but I never... I, I genuinely didn't see the scoring come. Even after all these years, the expectation in Dallas is still outrageous. Um, and just the way the cookie has crumbled, it was the worst possible time for them to actually um, change their coaching team because they've had next to no time um, to be able to mould something. Um, so, yeah, there's no, there's no time for Mike McCarthy to get any grace period whatsoever because this is the Dallas Cowboys um, and they have sort of a haunted ravine instead of a defence. And that's not a good combination. That's not going to lead to wins. Right, let's move on and let's talk about our weekly awards then. So, Belter, Bowfin, Ballbag. First of all, we'll share thoughts from some of the listeners. So, Matt Ingster got in touch. His Belter was Tua, playing in the NFL. Bowfin was the Jets and Ballbag was Adam Gase. It's a solid start right there. Uh, Ross Black, his belter was the Bucks D for dominating Green Bay, allowing only 201 yards and 10 points while getting themselves five sacks, one interception, and one of only three career pick sixes by Rodgers. That is the top performance. Bowfin, the Jets, there's already a theme. And Bobag is Mike Vrabel. The intentional penalty was top Bobaggery. Bravo. Now, I'm not sure if you guys picked up on this. I didn't at first. But the Titans, towards the end of the game, intentionally drew a 12-man on the field penalty on second and one, where the Texans, this was, I think, with three minutes to go at the end of the game, Texans are marching down the field. Uh, the Titans had their timeouts, and rather than use a timeout, you know, let the Texans run the ball, they took 
the, the penalty, they gave the Texans the first down and they said, you know what, fine, we'd rather have the time, you're going to score anyway. So let's get as much as we possibly can. There's been a bit of footage come out that shows he clearly took that penalty intentionally, threw a boy on that's only featured in something like nine defensive snaps all season and they've all been junk time points. So clearly, you know, very much from the school of Belichick right there. So that's positive Bob Aggery rather than negative Bob Aggery. So yes, a good one there. Good suggestion from Ross Black. Uh, Paulie got in touch. Belter, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bounce back game we needed. David and White were exceptional, as was the Dean General. Rojo getting in his flow. And the most surprising thing, no penalties. Bowfin, did anyone miss Thursday night football? Me either. It's Bowfin. Get rid. And Bob Ag cannot be the first person this year to award the Bob Ag to Antonio Brown. He still has two weeks of his suspension left, and he's already trash-talking Nick Foles and trying to manipulate his way back onto NFL rosters. I'm not particularly excited about that, but we will come on to that in a minute. couple more. Stephen Lynn. Belter was... Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Bowfin was Kirk Cousins in the Minnesota Vikings, and Bob Ag, Aaron Rodgers, and a little bit of Matt LaFleur for not benching him earlier in the game and letting us see what Jordan Love can do. Uh, LJ, his belter is Marcus May's arse catch, by far the best thing a Jets player has ever done. So it's different from an arse catching the ball as opposed to an arse causing the fumbling of a ball. So arse is in New York. <laughs> uh, Bowfin are the Jets, obviously more specifically Flacco, a veteran quarterback should know to throw it away rather than take a sack every down making it fourth and two miles at the end of each drive uh, and then Bob Ag is the BBC cancelling their midweek highlight show and merging it with their Saturday preview show whatever the reasoning is it's a right inconvenience I reckon they should be the Bob Ag award sponsors for this year arseholes right LJ really no golden bag there so there you go um uh, not the opinions of the NFL Scotland podcast. We're just reading out the thoughts from social media. Uh, Lauren Callahan. Well, well, I don't know. <laughs> Lauren Callahan, his belter. Derek Henry. I did say he'd get some nominations. Put the Texans on his back to beat the. Uh, put the Titans on his back, even to beat the Texans. Bowfin is the Cowboys' defense. Another two explosive TDs given up. Fire Mike Nolan. I think we found out who the Cowboys' defensive coordinator is. And Bob Ag, Maurice Jones Drew, constantly going over and stroking his old game shirt, all while telling the Channel 5 viewers that the Jags are the UK's team, world's team. By the end of last night's show, I was ready to force-feed it to him. Um, I wonder if the result of said game also was a contributing factor to why Lauren was feeling a little bit pointy on that one. Uh, right, Paul Murphy, Belter, uh, Tay Crowder, Mr. Relevant became Mr. Relevant and key to the Giants' first win of the season. Bowfin is the whole Dallas Cowboys team, and Bobag is Zeke for his two fumbles. A couple more nominations for Zeke to get Bobag. One nomination for Matt Ryan to get Belter. Now fourth in the NFL history to throw 75% of his passes for 350-plus yards, four-plus touchdowns and zero interceptions in multiple games, joining Breeze, Brady and Rodgers. That is a fairly illustrious list. Uh, Bowfin for him, Kirk Cousins. Yeah, lots of problems there. Um, Bob Ag, what a heartwarming comeback story. He said absolutely no one about Rob Gronkowski as he spiked the ball in the middle of the end zone. Yeah, there you go. Uh, a couple of Bowfin ones. Kirk Cousins, Madison as well. Uh, he made his way into a bunch of fantasy teams this week and let every single person down. So, yes. Guys, nominations. Who's your belter for week six? The yeah. belter is me. 
uh, because I won my fantasy matchup by 0 0.06 points. <laughs> so, uh, Nori, who may or may not listen to this podcast, just a, a simple get it right up here. I beat you. Um, the belt. <laughs> I realize he's got you firmly in the ball bag category, just to, for I, balance I, here. You know, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> the belter. The belter is, as you described, it's quite regal. If it's within the laws of the game to do it, you take advantage and you do it. That is superb coaching. If you don't like it, change the laws. Until then, that is outstanding stuff. Yes, it's definitely clever. Definitely clever and right out of the Belichick school of thought, for sure. Jamie, who's your belter? A belter, I, I love the Tay Crowder shout. Um, fortunately, he's ended up injured after all his heroics. But I, I'm sticking Giants-wise and going with Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, because he has created... Uh, something really outstanding on that side of the ball. He's uh, using pieces like Logan Ryan um, to really keep offenses guessing, and it's no longer the the underrated or the or the under the radar defense. People now are fully respecting the Giants, um, and it's a long time since they've been able to say that. Yes, indeed. For me, I'm going to give it to Brandon McManus because I think, you know, to, to get all those points for his team and single-handedly beat the Patriots, you know, and, and this isn't the Patriots now, like I didn't expect them to come back and win, which is a weird feeling now because I've, I'm not used to that yet when watching New England. But, you know, McManus managed to take uh, the Broncos to get their first road win versus New England since 2006 uh, and he did it all himself. So I think for me, he absolutely gets the belter this week. And I'll kick off. I think this can be a quick one. It's the Jets, zero points against the Dolphins. I mean, the Dolphins stopped trying from about the middle of the second quarter, I think. Uh, it's just inept. It's absolutely inept. It's it's awful. They're they're trading away pieces. They're giving stuff away. They're releasing of uh, Levy and Bell. Fine. I'm, Levy and Bell didn't want to be there. There's clearly problems, but just to can't even negotiate a, a, a trade for the guy who's clearly a top, top talent. There are there's problems all the way through the Jets from top to bottom. And it's just, oh, it, it's. I said at the start of the season that the Raiders were bereft of talent. And I've already apologized for that. The New York Jets are bereft of talent and bereft of any kind of sensible, strategic forward progression as a football team. They are in a dire, dire place. I don't know how they fix it. Bowfin, bowfin for the season, just bowfin. Horrible. Can't argue with it. Like, I'm going to, I'm going both in Kirk Cousins though, because it's amazing to see just how overpaying one guy who was already average and has pl pl plunged considerably lower than average uh, over the course of a couple of seasons and is forcing an entire um, franchise into thinking, right, we're going to have to rip this up. Um, just to see, you know, one free agent signing, forcing a, um, a, a team into completely drastic action uh, like that is, uh, is more than worthy of the Bowfin for this week. It's got to be the Green Bay Packers for spoiling the whole nation in prime time. You know, I mean, the Jets against the Dolphins on one, you know, one channel that nobody wanted to watch. And we wanted a shootout. We wanted a really great game. Um, I'm sorry, Bowfin. Giving it to the cheeseheads. I, I said they'd go 10-0, and 0, um, so I can't be accused of hating the Packers, uh, but they get it. They get it big time. I think it's a very fair shout, to be perfectly honest. They were disappointingly bad. Um, they really, really were disappointingly bad. All right, okay, ball bag nomination. So, Jamie, you can start with this one. 
Yeah, well, you've said everything that really needs to be said about the Jets, but Adam Gase, from everything that's been written about him this week, is clearly a quintessential ball bag. I love the New York sports media. They not only don't hold back, but they go absolutely over the top and they have savaged him personally. It makes it seem utterly incredible that he remains in a job um, because he is clearly such a toxic character and unable even to muster you know, the most basic amounts of enthusiasm from his extremely limited players. Um, and I think the only reason he can be getting kept in post uh, is uh, tanking for Trevor Lawrence. Yep, uh, it's Adam Gase for me as well. Um, it's, I, I think the only way he's been kept in a job is because he's got incriminating pictures. Because uh, it can't even be worth Trevor Lawrence going through this. You don't need to keep Gase to tank. Um, I just, I don't understand the upside. I don't understand anything. I've not seen anything out of his uh, coaching career that says he's the man to, to do anything to this franchise. So why would you continue to let him linger around? There's, um, I mean, there's all kinds of things like people are now sharing a random bit of training that Darnold and Flacco are are doing. And it's this weird thing where they're like dragging their hands along the ground. And that's a level of scrutiny now that people are just looking for opportunities to have a pop. That in itself is so negative and so not what you need as a team. I'm sure there's a reason that that's a very valid coaching thing. And I would love to hear from a coach what they're doing. But people are just looking for stuff to go, look at this idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. These guys are a shambles. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's it's interesting. I saw someone say as well, I can't believe he's not walked away. But I, I you don't really see coaches walking away from jobs. Like, it's not like you know, football, our football, where a manager, if they're not getting the support of the board, will walk away because of their reputation. That just doesn't happen when it comes to the NFL. So I don't anticipate him walking away. But, you know, the fact that he's still there, you know, the Bob Iger award could be shared by the whole um, front office of the Jets, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah, the whole lot of them. Right, Paul, yours? I'm not expecting many people to agree with me on this, but I'm going for it anyway. It's the NFL. I'm fed up of all this campaign nonsense. We've now got NFL votes. If you need to be told by a sports league to cast a vote in a general election, you're an idiot. Just Can we just stop with all this nonsense? It's about the game and the players. Stop all this unnecessary distraction stuff. I'm fed up of it. You know, if you need to be told by an NFL team to go and vote, you've got a problem. Just stop all this nonsense. So there you go. Um, right. On to some of the headlines, because this is the time of the season now where, you know, it's great to talk about the games, but we're coming up to the trade deadline. There's movement going on. There, There's Nat. I mean, there's obviously hot seats. There's players on the move. There's, above all that this week, there is a change in the starting quarterback at the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Tua came on to end the game and people celebrated saying, brilliant, isn't it great to see him? And then before you knew it, he's the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. He's announced as such. Um, and since then, we've heard from Ryan Fitzpatrick a lot of very honest emotions from him. Um, first and foremost, I guess, how do you guys feel about the, the situation and how it's been dealt with? I mean, I guess it's horrible for, for Fitzpatrick, of course, because um, he's, his personality has been a big part of the, 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 the Dolphins beginning to climb out of their stupor. Um, but they've got an extremely exciting young quarterback and 
I think my mind was made up on it when I saw Kurt Warner tweet about his experience of being dropped for Eli Manning and how much it hurt um, and how difficult it was, but how it didn't take him long to agree that it was the right decision. And um, I think in time the, that we'll be looking at this decision by the Dolphins in the same way. Paul? I like I like what Ryan Fitzpatrick's got to say. You know, I basically got fired yesterday. My day-to-day consisted of Zoom meetings with a guy who fired me and sitting in a room with a guy who's replaced me. You know, I think that's that's perfectly fair. I, I don't see why people are expecting Ryan Fitzpatrick to turn over, get his tummy tickled and say, brilliant, in you come to her. Who, which one of us and, and anybody listening to this would do that in their own jobs? Absolute nonsense. And I think he's got every right, sorry, Jamie, to give as much snark as he wants. Now, will Tua turn out to be a very good player? Absolutely. Did Ryan Fitzpatrick see it coming? Yes. But not off the back of actually leading your team to a decent record and giving your team a chance to get in the playoffs. So uh, it's entirely Miami's decision. It was going to happen at some point. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, as far as I'm concerned, can keep sticking it to them all season long if he wishes. I think it's just a, it's a sign, conversely, that it's actually a really good environment there because Ryan Fitzpatrick is so emotionally invested in what in what's going on at Miami at the moment. I think it just shows that it's a good place to be playing football at the moment. Yeah, th- yeah. it's a franchise on the up. It's a franchise on the up for sure, and there's a lot of positive signs coming out there. I guess the, the timing off is interesting for me because I guess if you want to find a great example of why it's good to park your quarterback for longer and let him learn, you only need to look to Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. And what they did there is they knew they were moving away from Alex Smith. That, that that was happening. Alex Smith, a veteran of the game, but what it allowed Mahomes to do was go through multiple scenarios on the sidelines and learn from someone who's actually there in the heat at the moment. Now, the, the risk here is that Tua goes in after the bye week, and if the Dolphins start to struggle, you end up in a situation where people go, oh, let's put Fitzpatrick back in because people want to win. Um, and because that division's actually a bit more open than we were anticipating it, then the, the Dolphins are somehow in the, the, the playoff conversation. Now, are they going to win the Super Bowl? No, they're not. Uh, there's no way. But getting to the playoffs, regardless of whether you think you're going to progress through them or not, it's still something that your fan base wants. That's your very purpose, is to go out and win. It's to win now, and it's to win in the future. And I think whether or not Tua starts week eight or whether he started later in the season, they would still be setting themselves up to win. Uh, I think that it, your your point, Paul's bang on as well. I think that the fact that Fitzpatrick's come out and said this is actually a great thing, and it, it's just testament to his character. He cares. He cares enough that this hurts him. Uh, that this hurts him, but he's also come out and said that he will do what he needs to do and he will help Tua to grow as a player. And that is, for me, the the professional that Ryan Fitzpatrick is. For me, it feels like such a shame because he's playing so well at the moment as well. So you look at his numbers over the season, his quarterback rating for the year is 82.5. If you look over his entire career, he's never had it above 70 in a single season. So he's not just playing a little bit better. He's playing a lot better than he's ever played in his life. So he's clearly found himself in a groove where he's the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins and now he's had it all taken away and it's got for me it's got nothing to do with Ryan Fitzpatrick and it's everything to do with the capabilities and the future under Tua. All right, we'll move on to the Ravens. The Ravens have traded for Yannick Ngokwe, who, of course, the Vikings just traded for 
um, before the season from the Jacksonville Jags. And Gokwe was desperate to get out of Jacksonville. There was multiple toys came out the pram there. He got the move to Minnesota. Minnesota gave up, I think, a 2021 second uh, and a fifth. And now the Ravens have gone for a 2021 third and a fifth. So um, it means that actually the Vikings have had given up a second, played him for six games, and then got back a third for him, which feels like they're somewhat offloading him. That feels a funny one. It's very early time. Obviously, the Vikings haven't played very well. From Gokwe, he goes to the Ravens, who, of course, went and got Calais Campbell, who he played with at Jacksonville. So right away, there's chemistry there on that line. And it feels like a really good pickup for the, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I mean, if he's trouble, they don't like him, ship him out. We, we mentioned in our preview podcast that we thought the Vikings might struggle given the sheer number of new players that they had in terms of draft picks. This guy's come in. He's not clicked for whatever reason. Trouble in Jacksonville. And I think Minnesota have done exactly the right thing if he's shaping up to do that again. And there's somebody that's willing uh, to take him off your hands. Get rid of him. Simple as that. And that's what they've done. If he can then go and be a better person player uh, with the Ravens, good on him because that's entirely what he's looking to do. If it just didn't work, sometimes the worst thing you can do is stay together too long. Yeah, interesting point. Uh, the Ravens also today um, looks like they're picking up Des Bryant. Um, now, I think, Jamie, the biggest surprise to me when looking into this one is Des Bryant's still only just 31 years old. I don't know. I had him older than that. Um, of course, he nearly made the Saints. In fact, he did sign for the Saints, didn't he? And then got injured right away. Didn't play last season at all. Now the Ravens have apparently had him in in August, so they've worked him out recently. He's signed to their practice squad initially, but you've got to imagine that Des Bryant is a player that's good enough to then get onto that roster. But actually, if we're looking for plus points, we're just talking about Fitzpatrick being a great benefit to Tua. Actually, a very experienced wide receiver like Des Bryant could be a really good asset for Lamar Jackson. Majorly, um, the Des, he's is, is, is never been one to burn and get right up uh, and, and, and burn defences vertically. He's a possession receiver, and I imagine after his timeout, even more so now, he's going to be for the throws underneath. And, and um, Lamar Jackson's got lots of deep threats already. So the thing with the Ravens is they're still an extremely quality outfit, but they haven't really just... There hasn't been a spark. They haven't just exploded yet. And I think that's what they're searching for with these moves. I think... On the defense, maybe just just adding this guy who who who's got question marks, but is probably going to love being on a winning team. Um, that can that could just that can help a person's character, um, and they're hoping that that maybe just gives them a spark there. If it's a matter of Des occupying, tying up um, pieces on the on defenses to allow their big explosive deep threats more room down the field to allow. Um, more space for Lamar to get the ball running. Just something that gets them really firing in the way they did last season. And I think that's that's what they're looking for in these two. Now, the one other name that we talked about in the awards section that's coming back to the NFL appears to be Antonio Brown. His suspension up after week eight. Uh, looks like Seattle Seahawks are the favourite contenders for that one. The bookies odds have the Ravens in second favourites, but I think that Des Bryant pickup would probably eliminate them. Um, beyond that, I saw the 49ers mentioned. I wouldn't want to touch them with the barge pole, I'll be honest. But the Seahawks love... A player that uh, can be potentially disruptive to the locker room. Uh, so perhaps Seattle's the best place for him. Paul, will you be pleased to see Antonio Brown back in the league? 
Yeah, as long as it's nowhere near my team, I'm happy. <laughs> you know, I, you know, the only thing that would be so 2020 out of this is if he went to the Jets. Now, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> um, you know, that that's my kind of, you know, go, go live in New York. Go, go and have a good time there. I no, was going to say, I, I'm, I'm completely against him coming back. I, actually, no, the Jets suggestions won me over. Let's absolutely have that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... I'm, I'm 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 beyond tired of Antonio Brown and all his antics. You know, I mean, I really am. I mean, Jamie knows. Jamie works in the sports business. You look at somebody and they, they are they're a character. You like to, you know, you like to cover. You get a bit of color out of them, but they get really really tiresome quickly. And he got tiresome quickly. And if I'm a journalist in Seattle, uh, I'd be like, oh. Don't tell me I've got to go through this rigmarole. You'd just be tired of it. You know. Whereas getting someone like Des Bryant. I mean, you are getting, Jamie described them perfectly there, you are getting somebody that you can work with and put pieces together with. You bring in Des Bryant and he becomes part of a shared offence, I think Des Bryant will do a job for you because he's winning. Uh, You bring in Antonio Brown and you don't start to pick him and start to give him throws and things like that. I mean, toys out the pram, I mean, the pram out the stadium would be the more likely. (laughs) The, um, The Anthony Stokes of the NFL... Just based on is what it, you're talking about, characters there. Is it artificial turf in Seattle? <laughs> no, Seattle play on grass. He's fine there. <laughs> there we go. Um, Jamie, your thoughts on Antonio Brown's return? It's exactly what Paul said. He's the law of diminishing returns in human form. Um, you can get away with that sort of stuff a couple of times and it's novel and funny. And then it's not funny anymore and you're just... Um, a laughing stock. You're a parody of what you were um, trying to be. That's what Antonio Brown is. Um, and yeah, no, you'd just be a diversion uh, for whoever signs him. I, I'm, I'm really not in favour of him coming back. It's we've we've moved on. We've moved on as a league. We've moved on as uh, as fans of this game, and uh, we don't need him. And speaking of moving on, let's move on to week seven then. So uh, we will come to Thursday Night Football because at the point of recording this, uh, we've not yet got there. Um, but before we do that, let's have a quick update on the Bonnie Sauce NFL Scotland Pick'em competition to try and pick, to try and pick, to try and find the pick king or queen of Scotland. So quick update on the scores on this one. Sitting at the top of the table with a two-point lead is Alex McNiven. So well done, Alex. Great through the season so far. Uh, a couple of people in tied second. We've got Buddy Brilliant, Aberdeen Goose, and Keep Having Commit Dreams. And then there's a bunch of people in equal fifth as well. We'll go through these. In Keel Before I Zod, win and you'll get whiskey. Oh, sorry. In Keel Before Zod. Very good. I, I just seen that. That's, that's very good. Uh, win and you'll get whiskey. Bailiston Bills, uh, Papap Skull, Basin Red Tops, Jambo Jack and Louise Coghill as well. Um, gents, I'm sitting in 13th with 63 and five points off the top. I think the highest that I can find in the list beyond that is yourself, Mr. Mitchell, currently two behind me. I had a good week on my picks. I was five out of six in the pick six. I, do you know what? I, I shared an update after four games for the guys in the group. Just shared the post to show how we were progressing. I got nothing but abuse. You know, at this point, fine. I was 4 Renault at that point, and nobody else had better than one. But apparently this was deemed as passive-aggressive and smugness on my part. Uh, Paul, I protest this fully. I think that I've been harshly treated. I think that I am in charge of, you know, pulling together the graphics. 
And I think all I did was share it with the team. And I've been given nothing but dog's abuse. I think it's a disgrace. Well, I mean, I referred it to the, the NFL commissioner and he awarded you the title of Smug. So you can go and take it and take your graphic. Not Tonight's not the night to be, to be arguing with me anyway. But, yes, it was a little bit smug, smuggity smugglers, shall we say. I, so, yeah, I, I should say, I'll, I'll give you credit for your pips. Oh, Sorry, Jamie, you were saying there. It's just a great feeling when you get all your picks in. It's so random. It's so entirely arbitrary. When I got my six and zero on our uh, on our on our one with the with the with the other guys in the pod, I showed it to my mum. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, Jamie's on my side. Right, we can do. And the thing is, the first person to call me smug was Charles Patterson, who's banged on about his six and zero since he got it. Honestly, people in glass houses. Um, Sky Sports for you, Thoey. We're taking them all down tonight. BBC, Sky, the lot you. Channel 5. Blech. We'll have you all. Right. Um, so we'll move on then. Week 7. Let's start with Thursday Night Football then. Uh, at the point of recording, it hasn't yet happened. So, Jamie, can we have your reaction to both a victory and a defeat live here on the New Scotland podcast? We'll just edit out the one that didn't happen. Yay! We're going all the way to the playoffs. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh. Well, at least we'll get a high pick. <laughs> yep, brilliant. Um, have you got a chance? You've got a chance against the Eagles. The Eagles have been... That's not a question. Of course we've got a chance. <laughs> uh, uh... I, I, would, I would like to point out, if you want to talk about chances, New York, according to the pigskin pick'em, have got a 13% chance of winning. The New York Jets, who host the Buffalo Bills, it is so small on the green line, I can't actually get the thing to open. Um, but I could tell you by clicking on the Bills, they've got a 98.44% uh, chance of winning. That's who's picked them. So actually, there's 1.56 people uh, that have chosen the New York Jets, and I'll refer you to my Bob Baggery, trying to encourage people like this to vote in an election is the wrong thing to do. So let's not go there. Seven straight victories uh, the Eagles have had over the Giants. Have you got a chance, Jimmy? Yeah, they're 11 out of 12 as well. But yes, we do have a chance. Absolutely have a chance. Uh, what other games are tickling your fancy? This week, and I'm asking so that I can uh, intentionally not pick them in the pick six, just to noise you up even further. But no, um, what what are the games from week seven that you're looking out for? I think there's a little bit of a rivalry coming back in the NFC South between the Panthers and the Saints. There's been a lot of trash being talked between these two, uh, so bring them on. Uh, I think that could be a really intriguing game in a in a slate that has some games that are less than intriguing, shall we say. I don't know, it'll be interesting in you guys' thoughts. Some of the games this year, I think, have gone very one-sided very early. And it's you look at them, you think, no, wouldn't watch that, wouldn't watch that. I mean, you know, San Francisco at New England. I mean, it's hard to imagine Cam will be as bad as, as he was. San Francisco, I mean, at the moment on the pigskin pickup, are, are favoured to win. Now, I find that quite surprising given the number of injuries. So in terms of games I want to see, I think Tampa Bay Bucks at the Las Vegas Raiders looks pretty decent. Steelers-Titans surely is, is the outstanding game on the slate. You know, two 5-0 teams going head-to-head. -head, that, to me, is, is the one I would watch. Yeah, I'm surprised to see that's not been flexed out of where it is because that's obviously a re... 
uh, a rescheduled game because of the sort of jiggery pokery with the with the the COVID cancellation. Um, this is the week as well where we get the slight benefit of an extra hour and things start at five o'clock because of the, the change in the clocks. So hallelujah, this is the best season of the, sorry, best week of the season, this one. Um, it's, I, I agree, I think Steelers-Titans is an absolute belter. The Bucks raiders is interesting because if the Raiders can beat them, then one, the Raiders are legit and two, the Bucks aren't as good as we thought they were. However, if the Bucks dominate this one, then it could be quite telling for both. I agree. I think the Patriots have to be favourites against the Niners just because of the injuries, um, though hopefully it's a game. Seahawks-Cardinals, I think, is really interesting as well because they're, you know the Seahawks are 5-0, and but there's perhaps a conversation that says the Seattle haven't necessarily played any massively great teams so far. Um, and this will be interesting because the Cardinals are in uh, a, a good place. You know, you look at the Seahawks, they've beaten the Vikings, they've beaten the Dolphins. The, you know, the Vikings have been trash. The Dolphins have been decent, fine, but you would still expect the Seahawks to win. The Cowboys have been terrible. The Falcons have been terrible to start the season. Fine, the Seahawks beat the Patriots. Um, but they beat them by five points. Um, and the Patriots aren't the same Patriots by any means. So... I think this is the first real test and there's a couple of tough games coming up. The Seahawks have got, coming out of the bye week, they've got the Cardinals, Niners, forget that one. But then they've got the Bills, the Rams, the Cardinals again. So that's a a tough run of games there for sure. Jamie, what's tickling your fancy? Uh, On that one, I like the cards. I like what Kyler Murray is doing. I think this would be a a huge test. We'll maybe know a bit more about them after this one because the Seahawks have looked pretty impenetrable so far. Uh, I mean, you've touched on all the great games there. And the one that I've written down is specifically because I knew it wasn't going to come down on the theme of me loving crap football this year. Cowboys at the Washington football team. Um, We've got, yeah, um, the Cowboys have gone from a a, a good offence and a, a, a... completely non-existent defence to a non-existent defence and not much of an offence as well. Um, Washington have got a good defensive front and not an awful lot else. Um, And I think Washington will win and I'm looking forward to seeing the even further spiral of despair that it sends Dallas into. It's a relegation playoff interest. For me, it's like, you know, relegation playoffs are interesting. The teams are playing crap, but it's it matters. This this division is interesting through its crapness. It, it, every game's relevant. Every single game right now is relevant because any single one of these teams could win this division. And it's the only yeah. division I think you can say it about, which is bizarre. But in that roundabout way, through its badness, it's interesting. So Yeah, Dallas is in a pit of despair at the moment and another defeat would, would do them. In fact, a win probably wouldn't even get them out of their funk either. They would just be like, Ugh, oh, well, it was only Washington. If Washington win, then they're going to actually start feeling quite confident. That's you know that's how strange a division this is. And people are start gonna talk, talking them up. So um, there is actually so many storylines and intrigue about it, even though it's not probably going to be uh, the, the term one for the purists. Yes. yes, it's never going to be the NFC feast, let's be honest. It's going to stick to its least. Um, anyway, I'm just going to stop there before I start thinking about other puns. Yeast immediately came to mind, so let's move on. Uh, any other headlines tickling your fancy then before we wrap things up for this one? Yeah, I'm trying to make sense of how the NFL are distributing their radio rights this year. Uh, I've been able to listen to quite a few teams uh just simply by going to their website and then other teams are linking to 
their flagship stations and you're not allowed to stream them outside of America. So I'm not really quite sure what the heck's going on with that. There's a lot of good, talented radio broadcasters out there. And if you want to listen you know, to something that might just actually be funny, if if you can get the Dallas, somebody like the Dallas radio announcers do not take well uh, to being thumped by the Cardinals. Uh, you know, so th- there are a few who are, are homers beyond belief, and, I, and that's not necessarily a bad thing um, in the in the NFL and the way that that works. Arizona are a great example, you know, of, of the, the most homer uh, color commentator that you'll find. So I find some of these particularly interesting, but I just wish you could you could actually get them all or just put them back on Game Pass, which would be nice. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Right, well, that's the full-time whistle for episode 120. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter, at ScotlandNFL, and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. Thanks to Jamie for joining us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Keep those award nominations coming. We'll be back next week to pick apart all the pieces from week seven. But until then, bye for now.